Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Max, as someone who you know has talked about relishing these types of moments and, and having success in these types of, of games, just what is your level of disappointment right now with, with how tonight went? Yeah, of course I'm disappointed, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the baseball can take you to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and this is one of the lowest of lows. I mean, I expect us to, to come ready to go tomorrow. I mean, we uh, we have a very resilient club here. Um, we've been able to come back from deficits before where uh, people didn't think that we could. And so, um, yeah, I expect everybody to be ready to play tomorrow. I mean, you're facing elimination, so... Um, that always makes things a little bit, uh, you know, make, makes your, your emotions and your focus kind of heighten a little bit. And so um, I can guarantee you that the guys will come out. They'll be ready to go, um, and we'll, we'll be ready to battle tomorrow. I mean, this is, this is what you want, Jake DeGrom in the playoffs and playing behind him. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. Like I said before, this is fun baseball. Um, you know, there's no time to put our heads down and, and think about what happened. You just got to turn on the turn the page and, and come back tomorrow and, and get all we got. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, October the 8th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com well as i promised after each mets postseason game depending on how many they are i will be coming to you uh, sometime after the game and the morning after i know it's a short shelf life these shows but we're giving it a shot and uh i was going to come to you 
in the middle of the morning, but I really wanted to marinate on what happened at City Field last night because it set a very different tone to this postseason. And there was a lot to unpack, even though it was, from a baseball standpoint, it was cut and dry. So I wanted to think a little bit about how I could provide you some value on the show because if you scroll Twitter and you go up and down the the papers this morning, you're going to get what you expect. I mean, some of it's real hyperbole where you got Dave Lennon calling them the worst team the $290 million could buy. And I laugh because the Dodgers and the Yankees and any of these big spending teams, they've been knocked out in the first round. And maybe, okay, this is the wild card round. And I, I, there's been obituaries written about those teams, but that's a pretty strong statement. It goes to show you the bar this team has the yoke that's around this neck, how hard it is to play here. And there's nothing to complain about when it comes to that. That's the that's what you get paid for. That's what you walk into. And the opposite will happen if they win the next two games and they go into L.A. to play the Dodgers. But from a baseball standpoint, the, the only good news I can give you uh, overall from last night is that it's a best of three. And at least it gives me, this is a whole new playoff format, it gives me some validation that baseball, even though I think they could have done a better job with the seeding and maybe had all the division winners get a bye and then have some kind of wild card round robin with the four teams, a wild card week. Uh, That was an idea I've had a while. That's the only other part, I think, even after just one day of baseball, that potentially could make this better. I told you it was back to zero and zero. I mean, The players said it. Anybody who's denying it, I don't care how many games you win. If you're in this wild card best of three, anybody could win. And then anybody gets into that division series and could, you know, like San Diego with a guy like Darvish who clearly is pitching like an ace, uh, anybody could win. Anybody could win. There's no doubt about it. Uh, So, you know, everybody knew when I said this, even though we were kind of celebrating and enjoying a really successful Mets regular season. Nobody thought coming into Friday that this was going to be an easy series and the Mets were just going to romp. One other quick thing before I get to rational. Let's talk irrational. You want to see what irrational is? Here's irrational on a Saturday morning after a Mets blowout playoff loss. Can we put the black jerseys back in the closet? I feel like they never play well. I told you this. Now, I know they did the no-hitter with the black jerseys. So I'm kind of contradicting myself but other than the no hitter have you ever really felt like on a friday night they play great in those games i'm not saying they always i think their record's about 500 but i don't feel they play well in the black jerseys let's put them away put them away i know saturday morning early here i'm coming to you before eight o'clock and you know you probably still got sleep in your eye if you're listening to this right after i post it but and you're not looking for humor. You're not looking for the same light humor that you normally would get. But anyway, you got to throw some levity into the whole situation. The Padres played a perfect road game. I mean, from a baseball standpoint, you couldn't ask for more. I looked at, and I was thinking about that anonymous poll, the City Field crowd, and how it's like a nightclub. And I will say, the Padres took the Mets fans out of the game. I can't criticize the Mets fans at all. I mean, even Darvish said it was like they were screaming in their ear, in, in his ear throughout the first Four innings. I mean, once they went up 7 nothing, the air went out of the balloon. And I noticed uh, when they panned behind home plate ESPN that I could see the whole 
nightclub aspect to City Field. The the thing that I think the player was talking about was the flashing scoreboards up and down the outfield fence. Yeah, maybe the smoke when the players come out, the loud, uh, you know, different music, you know, how loud they can make the uh, uh, the acoustics in there and what have you. So I get that. And City, Craft, City Field was great. The Mets fan on a playoff stage does step up. What's interesting to me is I never feel, maybe outside of a Subway Series game and an occasional game here or there, that they're like that in the regular season. See, that's what drives me crazy. And I know I'm starting with a little bit something different, but it, it, it struck me last night how good the Mets fan was. They, even outside of booing Scherzer, and that happens. Like Buck says, everybody's been booed off a of mound. I mean, even David Cohn talked about how when he first came over and struggled uh, after he, with the Yankees, not with the Mets, with the Yankees, how he had a bit of a baptism by fire getting booed, and Buck said they're waiting to embrace you. And I think that's the same message you say to a Max Scherzer who – uh, could not have come up smaller in his biggest Mets moment. But uh, the Mets fan who sits on their hands throughout, in many regular season moments and looks pained in the middle of July on a Saturday afternoon on Keith Hernandez Day uh, was very much into it and was a 10th man. So kudos to the Mets fan. There was a couple of moments. Now, Scherzer not having his best stuff and taking the Mets out of the game. I mean, nothing about the blueprint. The Padres play the blueprint. They got ahead. They put a nice cushion and really put the hammer down. They got outstanding starting pitching, elite starting pitching from you, Darvish. And uh, they won the ball game. But there's a couple of times where you can see where this whole thing was uh, was going and, and where the Mets need to go. First, first inning, first and third, one out. Pete Alonso is uh, at the plate. And he gets ahead way out in front of a, I think it was a Darvish fastball. I have to look at the uh, the FX data. But, and, it, and he yanks that a home run distance foul. That's where Darvish was a little bit rattled. That's where something small, uh, like that crooked number we talked about in the first inning, could have changed the whole outcome. Now, Scherzer had nothing. I mean, he had nothing from the start. Is it his oblique? Is it the fact that he's just off? He's not finishing his pitches? I saw some uh, video from his bullpen session. He, he really didn't look uh, particularly comfortable. You know, who knows what his machinations mean? I mean, Scherzer is a very demonstrative person in the dugout. He could be just that kind of guy. You don't know uh, particularly what he's talking about. You know, he's very different in post games, very direct, very reserved. Uh, and then you see him in the dugout, and he's, like, all over the place uh, like a maniac. So, I mean— we, Clearly, he's not. You don't know the the extremes and who who Scherz really is. So we don't know truly, as any accountable player would would be. He didn't he didn't make any excuses. But Pete yanks that that home run ball foul. That's that's something that you wait a mega second more. That's a bomb that brings the roof down on that stadium. And you don't know what Darvish does after that. So that's number one. You don't know what Darvish does after that. However. Both Pete Alonso and Escobar, without making contact, running third, less than two, uh, two outs, not even a simple dribbler, ground ball to get the run in, a fly ball of, of somewhat uh, decent uh, uh, to the outfield, would have scored runs there. Absolutely. You know, Lindor, I think it was on the third on one, uh, Marte on the other. So you don't do the little things. You don't seize the big moment or you kind of a little out in front of the big moment. 
a three nothing game could be, or you know, at that point in the first inning, it was a two nothing game could be three two, three three, whatever. You're in a ball game, and you just don't know how Darvish reacts, and it goes to show you how the margin of error is so thin here for every team in the postseason. I mean, look at the Cardinals. Great closer, elite Helzy closer that's been dominant, and he spits the bit. I mean, everybody is is pretty much even now at this point, and all these teams, and it goes to show you whether you win 86 games or 89 games or 101 like the Mets, the gap between these teams is not as vast and wide as you think. Now, maybe you could make the argument with the Dodgers, but even so, the regular season gap and the gap is just not the same. And, and that's why this is so hard, and winning a championship is so hard, and the margin of error is is so thin, and that whole 18% chance of winning a championship even for the best of teams it it really rings true it's something that we've never talked about and Billy Epler talked about from day one back in November but the Mets did not get good starting pitching they did not do the little things to even get in a run or two here or there they did not seize early in the ball game moments where uh, they potentially could have put up crooked numbers nothing I mean we laid it out the Mets blueprint is simple score first get your starter with elite pitching or you know two runs Six innings plus two runs or less into the seventh inning so you could get to the bridge of Adovino, maybe limited to three outs, and then you get Diaz. None of that was even, I mean, Diaz wasn't even remotely an option last night with how bad things went. And, and is there any positives? It's hard to see any positives. The only thing I can say that was intriguing to me on offense was the stolen base. Now, they did that probably because of Darvish and Darvish's uh, motion to the plate. But all season, and we didn't talk about it a lot, and I think it's something that we should talk more about as we get into the offseason into next year. Or actually, you know, we shouldn't act like this is over. I mean, the Mets got the best pitcher in baseball, arguably, maybe, on the mound tonight. So I wouldn't start. If I was San Diego, I wouldn't start making my plane ticket to L.A. just yet. But the Mets with Marte and Lindor, particularly Marte, who had over 50 stolen bases the year prior, Never really got into the stolen base game. And we never got an, uh, an understanding why. We never heard why. Uh, there was some thought that maybe Marte had some kind of uh, injury. I think in spring training he might have had a groin injury or something going on with his side. Uh, maybe that limited his amount of stolen bases. Nimmo does, Nimmo's talked about how the stolen base is not used because of maybe making him uh, stay healthy. You also talked about the hitters behind him. I think that they treasure base runners so much, and they don't want to take the bat out of Alonzo's hands, per se, that maybe they, they're a little more conservative. Maybe with the larger bases next year, that'll be something different. But, you know, for the for the most part, a Marte, uh, you know, against most pitchers, I'm not talking about the elite uh, pitchers. You know, even a Ty Walker is a pretty elite, you know, holding and holding base runners on. You know, you know when you can go and when you can't. I was surprised that they didn't do more of that. And maybe that's a component to the offense, especially knowing that they've shown that they are a brownout offense right now. And to be fair, I know that some are talking on Twitter this morning. That's got to get power. And, you know, we know that they're probably, because of the whole DH situation, one bat short in length than they really wanted to be. That's where the stolen base would come more into play. So... You know, if you're going to be a contact team, if you're going to be a component-driven offensive team or a sum is greater than the parts type of uh, team when it comes to offense, maybe you got to add that dynamic. Another conversation for another day 
and, and we'll put that into the closet. So Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Remember something. Uh, you know, you talk about um, Darvish. Darvish is a top 15 pitcher this year. I mean, he's not on the, the level of Alcantara, Verlander, you know, but... When it comes to value, I mean, you can't really compare him to Scherzer and DeGrom, who are the statistically the best two pitchers the last five years, uh, according to Fangraphs. But it's funny, you know, when you look at the ranking of 2022, the best in terms of a win replacement pitcher in baseball this year was Aaron Nola, who's over in, in Philadelphia. You know, Max Fried in Atlanta, I mean, top 10 pitcher. We forget that the other team has some pretty darn good pitchers too, and it's going to take a lot. To win, so I mean, Darvish is one of the better pitchers they're going to probably face in this postseason, without a doubt. I mean, you know, you know, nothing. No, uh, there's, there, and he's evolved. I mean, it sounds like in listening to the broadcast last night, the Padres have basically told him, you know, you're an artist. You like to kind of create. We're not going to box you into some kind of analytics game plan. Go out and do your thing, which is really nice to hear. And I think you're going to have to, you're going to have to see the shift in the pendulum, especially with the new rules. And I think it was David Cohn or, or I couldn't remember if it was Eduardo Perez or David Cohn said, you know, this time of the year, you can't just sit there and, and over, you know, maybe not over embrace, but uh, you know, assess the data ad nauseum. You have to go in there. And and kind of use your instincts and kind of use what you think is the pitches that'll get people out. You know, sometimes as a pitcher, I feel we try to figure out what exactly the the stats say I should throw in this count. You know, maybe you should just work on what you have in your repertoire that would potentially be the best the best way to go about the at bat. So it was nice to hear that. And I think you'll see a pendulum swing. Now, as far as Scherzer. And here's the most balanced take you're going to get about Scherzer. Do I think Scherzer's hurt? Clearly, since Oakland, he hasn't been the same. He wasn't great in Atlanta. He was even worse last night. Scherzer took full accountability. I think if he's not hurt and he says he's made the adjustments, but he doesn't know why 
his fastballs not running in the way he wants. It was kind of bleeding out over the plate. And that's where you were seeing guys like Josh Bell and Manny Machado and Profar and Grisham just, I mean, that's batting practice. Remember, the margin of a, even a Max Scherzer, a great pitcher, location, which is incrementally from one side of the plate to the other, is the difference between popping a ball up and batting practice into the Coca-Cola porch. And, and Scherzer clearly is a tick off. So my question for everyone to ponder, and everyone, and, and let's put the Dave Lennons, the worst team $290 million could buy. Let's put all the, the choke monikers. Oh, he's paid $43 million and he, you're comparing him to Tom Glavin. But I'll bring up Glavin in another context for everybody. At the age of 38, and it's not the first postseason start that Scherzer's had that hasn't been great. I mean, it's the worst one he's had. But he's had others with the Nats and the Tigers and, and even to a certain degree uh, with L.A., some starts that weren't dominant elite. That doesn't mean he can't have another one if he gets the chance. But at the age of 38, things go pretty quick when your body breaks down. And it could be something that has been underlying in the shoulder, the arm, you know, is an oblique the first sign that the car is breaking down. You know, your car drives, even though you bang it around and you drive it a lot, you know there's a reliability to it. You know, and there's little things that you have to get serviced and whatnot. But the first time you're driving it and you hear that sound, and then that sound turns into something, not the end of the world, but it starts to show you the car is compromised and you fix it. And then the, six months later, three months later, there's another sound and another thing that goes wrong. And you start to say, these are weird, these things. I've never had these problems. Well, the car is starting to tell you that uh, I'm, I'm nearing the end of the line. And usually with a pitcher sometimes, it, it happens pretty quick. You start to see them from a certain level, and there's a slight drop, but acceptable drop, and then there's a real drop-off. Randy Johnson, for example, was, you know, won a Cy Young Award in 2002, uh, 2004, great season in Arizona for a bad D-backs uh, club second in the Cy Young. I think he had a perfect game that year. Yankees get him in 20, 2005, 2006. He wins 17 games back-to-back seasons. Great offensive Yankee teams. I mean, look, it's possible I could have went out there and won 15 ball games with that kind of offense behind me. Uh, maybe not, but all joking aside, Randy Johnson was a league average pitcher in pinstripes. Now you could say, well, it was you know, in New York and in the stadium and the bright lights. It just wasn't the same pitcher after 2004. Whatever elite juice he had at, at that point, he was in his 40s. Whatever elite juice he had, it went away. Tom Glavin wins his 300th game, and Tom Glavin, after Rick Peterson had worked with him and he developed and evolved to Quest Tech after we had a really bad first season in New York, Glavin was, a, I would say, a top-of-the-rotation starter. I mean, 2006... I went to ball games and we watched Glavin. He was kind of like Whitey Ford late in his career, you know, mixing and matching, keeping hitters off balance. Nothing sexy, but he was a top of the rotation pitcher. Maybe he wasn't a number one in stuff. Maybe he wasn't vintage Pedro Martinez, but he was your ace. And he wins his 300th game. And we all talk about the seven run first inning against Miami in the last game of the season. And um, 
you know, I'm devastated, not devastated. But Tom Glavin was out of the game within less than a year after he won his 300th ball game in Chicago at Wrigley Field in August of 2007. It went quick. Whatever juice was left in the tank, that 300th win, that got him to the finish line. Now, everybody's different, and there's different reasons why players decline. And I'm not saying Scherzer's done. And if you want me to bet on somebody that if he gets another chance, is going to come back, even with a strained oblique, is going to compete and find a way to give you a quality start. Maybe not an elite start, a quality start to keep you competitive and keep you in the ballgame. It's going to be Max Scherzer. I have a lot of faith in him. I'm not going back on what uh, I believe was the right decision by Buck Showalter and Billy Epler and the management team to go with Scherzer in game one. In a lot of ways in this wild card series, because it's so quick, it could go, you know, a bloop in the blast could put you into the offseason. Game one is critically important, and we don't have any data about teams that win the first game, how many series they win and how many teams lose, because this is a new format. And, and anything that happens this year, even though there's uh, what, four series, you might not be able to make any kind of statistical declarations because you need a couple of years of data at least, maybe more, maybe five years of data before you decide how important game one is. But having that backup plan if something goes bad with a DeGrom, it's a pretty good place to be. Now, DeGrom hasn't been good. DeGrom had a blister. Is that why he hasn't been good since Oakland? We'll see, I guess, tonight. But... I stand by the decision they made. You know, they know what Max Scherzer could bring. Now, are they taking a guy who is pitching through oblique and probably should be back on the injured list and maybe needed a little bit more time? I mean, from July 4th when he came back around that time until he strained the oblique against the Nats uh, right around Labor Day, there was nothing to indicate that Scherzer was off his game. I mean, maybe the Yankee Stadium start in late August? I mean, he was great against the Nats, but that's a bad team. And then he comes back. He's perfect against Milwaukee. He beats Oakland. I know that's Oakland, but he didn't look like he was laboring in that game. And now he's, you know, the wheels have fallen off. So things go quick. I am just throwing it out there. There is a possibility. When the Mets signed Scherzer at the age of 38 to a three-year deal, and I said, you know, that's a lot of money, $43 million. Maybe you could get Robbie Ray and Kevin Gaussman and Bill Day. Maybe not a, a ace Hall of Fame elite, big top of the rotation with DeGrom and Scherzer. You could build a more balanced rotation with that money throughout. I was serious about that. This was a fear of mine that the guy could fall off the cliff or not be available for large swaths of the season, and you're not going to see the value of DeGrom and Scherzer unless they are available and right during the right part of the season. Scherzer and DeGrom being dominant from April to June is not going to help the Mets win a championship. Now, that didn't happen this year because DeGrom wasn't around in the first half, and Scherzer, after you know May 22nd, missed a large chunk of the first half. So there is a possibility, and I'm not saying it's high possibility, but there's a possibility that Scherzer could be heading into a different phase of his career. Maybe the juice is starting to come out of the tank, and he is not going to be the last five years, Max Scherzer, the best pitcher or second best pitcher in baseball. He's going to be a veteran that's really good, that maybe is a number three in performance and could give you big performances here and there, but you can't guarantee it. I don't believe we're there yet. 
But let's say the Mets get through this series and he goes out and he gets clobbered in L.A. I mean, at some point, if he's healthy, you have to take him at his word. I know Cone and Smoltz are disagreeing. I understand what John Smoltz is saying about him uh, completing his pitches. You know, an oblique is going to hold you back. It's almost like a, a strain that you can't push through. It's like a string holding you back. You can't move forward. You're slightly not finishing. I mean, he's slightly off, and that's enough for you to be really bad in a postseason game. Now, we've seen really good pitchers get clobbered. Andy Pettit get clobbered in a game one against the Braves in 96. The Yankees actually lost, you know, two games there. Um, you know, look, it's a best of three. It's not a best of five. But even if you had lost game one in a best of five, you're pretty much at must-win game two. I mean, this would not have changed if this was a five-gamer or a three-gamer. The only difference is you can't win game two and get another mulligan. No matter what in the postseason, you have very little margin of error. Every game is – now it's when every game the sky is falling if you lose. Not in the middle of June when Mets fans get all crazy. So I think the real takeaway, if you, if you will, it's at a point where the, this Mets team cannot win a championship without an elite Grom and out elite Scherzer. They're built on those two guys in the postseason. They could be a good, fun, regular season team, even if those guys are not who they are. Uh, They probably can't win 101 games without the elite pitching of Scherzer. But the whole blueprint of winning a championship, forget about the blueprint to win a game within a season or or within a postseason series. Ty Walker could go out there and, and do the blueprint for the Mets, and they could win a postseason game. But can you win a championship? Can you beat the Dodgers? Can you beat the Braves in a short series? Can you beat Houston in a World Series? Or even the Yankees? Without an elite DeGrom, without an elite Scherzer? No, you can't. And if Scherzer is compromised, let's say he's not done or or heading in a new phase, a tick below who you expect phase with what he is now, assuming that maybe we're starting to see the first signs of decline, that changes the dynamic and the trajectory of this three-year or four-year window I talked about with Buck Showalter at the helm. Changes it because now you don't have two aces at the top. And you have a good bullpen, but at times a bullpen that may not be great. And you have an offense that is not a bully offense, is a component-driven manufacturer-run offense. So you take a team that's a team that has a lot of good components to it, but is built on a short series foundation that elite one game, elite two game, game one, game two with DeGrom and Scherzer. And if that's gone in any way with either of these guys, I'm not saying they can't win, but the conversation changes a lot. When they signed Scherzer in December, surprisingly, right before the lockout, they went all in on the dream team rotation. You know, there we go. LeBron James, you know, big three, dream team, whatever you want to call it. They went all in on that concept. They jumped in. They sold Scherzer. They got a pretty good deal in terms of years. It's not going to be a sunk cost. Reasonable expectation that you'll get some value out of that contract, even if he's not vintage Max Scherzer from 2015, 2016. But if he's something not close in spurts of to what you got, forget about contract and value. 
He's not who you think you could squeeze the next two or three years. The Max Scherzer that's got to be closer to 2015, 2016 Max Scherzer or the Max Scherzer that you saw at the beginning of the year and he's inconsistent or more of a guy that's a veteran that gives you three really good starts and a stinker and you don't know what you're going to expect against certain offenses and certain teams or you don't know if he's going to have his stuff today and there's a lot of questions about how he could work through nicks and, and, and injuries and his, his mechanics being off. If that's the Scherzer that you get now, and it's, you're not there, it's, it's just something to think about. It's not something that we have to start to really dive into in a big way, but you have to put it out there. Then this is a much different proposition. Then you know what? I don't know if they could win and beat any of the top teams in a short series. Because I'm not sure that they're built for just getting six innings, three runs, five innings, three, four runs, and winning against the Dodgers, winning against the Braves. Probably can't do it against San Diego because they got some pretty good pitchers. Darvish and Snell and Musgrove are a really good threesome. Is it equal to DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett? Well, if the version of DeGrom and Scherzer that you got in the last couple of weeks, forget about last night, the versions you saw out in Atlanta are, then yeah, it's probably better, at least in the last two months. I mean, you could argue, I like Bassett. Bassett is a really solid competitor, 15-game winner. But, you know, I think Darvish is a better pitcher. Statistically, that proves it out. I'm not a big fan of Snell. I think Snell is the weak, weaker of the three. We'll see. I mean, he's a lefty. It's going to be a hard game tonight. And Musgrove has always been, even back in his Pittsburgh days, a guy that everyone felt was an elite pitcher that was just stuck in a bad situation. And he's he's proven to be... And the Padres gave him a contract, a guy that could be a really solid number two, number three starter on a good team. And for years, you know, he was a prospect in the Astros organization. For years in Pittsburgh, he just, you know, he couldn't show it because of the kind of organization that seems to kill every decent pitcher that's in there. And Clay Holmes, Musgrove, Jarrett Cole. Well, we could talk more about Garrett Cole and what he, what he was all about. So, anyway, I'm not going to get into today the whole, what if this team loses? What does this mean? The worst $290 million team money could buy. We're not there yet. We could be there in 24 hours. Like I said, this is cruel. You get into this baseball postseason, it's with you every day. You're pumped, you're amped, first inning, city field's rocking. Within 90 minutes, it's a morgue. And within 24 hours, it could be see you next year in Port St. Lucie. That's the unfairness of postseason baseball. But that's what it is. And if you want to win a championship, it's hard. And it just got a hell of a lot harder. Nobody thought this this was going to be easy. Even during the regular season when they had a 10-game lead. Nobody, I at least didn't. Maybe there were some people on SNY that calling the division over that thought that. So buckle up and... You know, we'll worry about postmortem and what this team achieved or didn't achieve when it's all said and done. Do I think there's going to be game three? Yes. I think the Grom, City Field, the crowd, contract, he's due for a dominant performance. He hasn't had one in a while. I mean, pretty much since the fifth inning against Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, and we're going back to middle of September, 
He hasn't been Jacob DeGrom. He wasn't Jacob DeGrom in Oakland. He was better in Atlanta, but he wasn't dominant. So he's due. Statistically, he's due. He's due for one of those near-perfect outings. Does he have it in him? Well, the Mets sure hope so, and the Mets kind of need him to have it. The Mets need to play the blueprint tonight. I don't know eighth inning down 3-1 hater on the horizon. I don't know if that's a scenario that even this resilient Mets team wants to be a part of. I'm sure they don't want to be a part of it. I'm not saying they'll just give up, but I don't think that's a scenario that they want to be a part of. So, Anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining me for this Game one, State of the Union. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy Game 2. We'll be back with another TalkingMets Podcast after Game 2. Till then, take care, everybody. Be the best. Be the best.